Hello, and welcome to the Freightvine Podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist here at Chainalytics, and today I'm joined by Kevin Zwire, the Vice President of Transportation Practice at Chainalytics and a leading expert in freight transportation procurement. Following my conversation with Kevin, I'll be joined by Dr. Inam Ayub to discuss the truckload market update. So let's get started. Kevin, let me ask you a question about what you're doing now. As we said, you're currently the VP of the transportation practice. So what does that role entail? Nowadays, I'd say it's probably three main things are are around my responsibilities here at Chainalytics. Uh, first off is is really staffing from uh, attracting and retaining the talent that makes up our transportation consulting team here at, at Chainalytics. Um, business development, working with prospects and clients to identify projects and initiatives where our team can add value. Most of the projects that we do revolve, as you might have guessed, around transportation procurement. Uh, we also do a lot of work around transportation and fleet modeling, transportation systems evaluation, selection and implementation, a lot around transportation management systems where you and I used to used to both work, and then diagnostics and assessment. Uh, and then lastly, uh, overall responsibility for project delivery, helping our team uh, deliver successful engagements to our clients and continue to add value. Um, before we get into specific questions, how many events do you think you've run? What's your best? What's your best guess? I don't know. I, I I did try and keep track of this for you know for a while, but I, I eventually <laughs> I eventually gave up because I would just uh, I, I'd forget to do it, and then too many <laughs> would go by. I mean, I, at this point, I'd probably say at least two hundred and fifty, maybe three hundred, um, and, and and that's primarily of what I call the the annual or semi-annual, depends upon when right. you do it, but, you know, the kind of the strategic events, um, not really the, you know, I, I don't get involved as much anymore um, with call it the, the smaller mini bid type of event. Me and my team focus more on the larger strategic events. So I'd say probably 250, 300 or so. Wow. And so, yeah, the smaller events, um, technology is at a place where a lot of shippers can do that themselves and, and are doing it. They don't need as much, uh, Outside assistance, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the, the communication um, that a lot of the bid bid tools now allow you to facilitate, uh, you know, has has made it that you don't have to do is the, the proverbial dialing for diesels um, near near as much as as one used to. So, you know, even if you have, you know, and we have plenty of shippers who do this, who every week they're putting a couple of lanes out to bid because stuff has changed their network or new customers right. have come online and there's a new promotion, uh, you know, or whatnot. And so the certainly technology has has made that a lot easier than picking up the phone or, you know, even having to blast out, you know, emails on that. Right, right. So let, let's talk about the process then. So how has the transportation procurement process and, and the management process changed over the last 10, 20 years and, and what stayed the same? Yeah. I mean, the overarching process is still mostly the same. Um, I think most, most of the shippers that we talk to in an effort to plan out their transportation costs for the next year, they go out and do a bid event, um, whether it's every year or every other year, or, you know, they're on some type of annual schedule where their rates quote expire uh, at, at a certain time. And so then they, 
you know, every year they're, they're, they're going through this to start this engagement and it's starts out the same way. in a lot of, you know, a lot of cases they need a network of the lanes that they want the carriers to provide pricing on. And that usually starts from 12 months of historical data. They have to figure out which carriers they're going to invite, which is usually their incumbents, maybe a, a couple of new ones added into the mix. They give the lanes to the carriers, the carriers provide rates and capacities and other information back to them. There's some analysis that's done. There's some feedback that's provided back to the carriers, or, or I'd say back and forth. And eventually an award's made. And you know, hopefully most of that award is accepted. Some of it's turned back, but eventually it gets uploaded into a transportation management system or routing guide tool or whatever the shipper is using to uh, you know, to manage their business. And then the shipper t- tenders those loads to the carriers and hopes that they accept them. And most of the time they do, but, but it, you know, it becomes a, a rinse and repeat, you know, type of, you know, type of thing. Right. So let me ask a question. So there are three big phases there, right? Uh, you prepare the bid and all the material, you give it to the carrier and give them a, a time to respond. And then you analyze and make a decision. Three big chunks. What do you think, uh, how has the time elapsed for that over the years? How much time on average do you see for the preparation, the time given to the carers or the time making the decision? The overall cycle has compressed. Uh, I think this, the portion that is compressed the most is that middle portion, the, the communication back and forth between the shipper and the carrier. Um, primarily because technology and communication has uh, has gotten easier since that time. I mean, when we started doing this, we were handing out diskettes to carriers and, um, there wasn't, you know, we couldn't easily provide them feedback, right. uh, without sending them a new disc. Whereas now, you know, we can do this all over the internet. So that piece has, has compressed. I wouldn't say the analysis has compressed a ton. I mean, it could, um, but now the tools allow you to do more analysis. So uh, that time hasn't right. really changed. The analysis is just better. It's richer. It's more informative uh, for, for the shippers. And the beginning part of, of getting ready and cleaning the data and uh, building your network and figuring out your strategy, that you always need to spend the time on to do it right. So I wouldn't say that's really changed. So it's more the middle part that has changed the most. That surprises me, Kevin, because I, I I understand the middle part because, to be honest, that's the one thing where the, the shipper isn't doing the work and they set the schedule, so kind of squeeze the carrier. But um, for the prep work, is data – are you seeing data being better? It seems like we're – the TMSs are collecting more. We have more to start with. I don't know if people have to go through and actually build a data file from scratch anymore. Have you seen that process get better as data improved or has it pretty much stayed the same? You'd think that the data would improve. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I could sit here with a straight face and tell you that it has. I mean, um, wow. I, I think it's bec- the data has become more accessible, so it's easier to get the data. Okay. I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily say it's dramatically cleaner. Um, there's still a right. lot of work to do to clean up a lot of the bad stuff that happens throughout the year, uh, incorrect locations, fat fingers, this, that, and the other thing. Cause what, you know, what right, you present right. to the carriers needs to be, you know, well thought out, refined, and they'll find every mistake that is in your network. Um, and, and so I right. think there's still, still a lot of, 
cleanup and sanity checking that needs to be done. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I would go back and say that the analysis has improved. People are better able to take into account capacity at its various levels, whether it's a lane level, facility level, region level, uh, etc. I think shippers have gotten, you know, more sophisticated in understanding that the tools can model their different business requirements and service needs. Uh, and so we run more optimization scenarios. We do more analysis. We investigate. You know, we don't really have any shippers who just dive in and start, uh, you know, picking, you know, I want this carrier on this lane, this carrier on this lane. So uh, I, I think there's just right. in general been some more sophistication and acceptance on on really both both parties' side. But it's funny, as you increase the tools, it, it's not going to speed the process up because people like to do more. I remember when it used to take an hour to run a, a, just a simple report yep. and you had to yep. pick your reports ahead of time because there was no flexibility. So that doesn't speed things up because it's like getting a vacuum cleaner. Suddenly you think it'll cut down on the amount of time you clean, but your level of cleanliness goes up. And so you spend even more time. Exactly. Data visualization tool and how people... Uh, look to understand what's happening in one scenario versus another, you know, before you dump them with, you know, a ton of paper <laughs> initially, and then it went to a, a bunch right, of Excel right. spreadsheets that, that you, uh, that you may show them. And, and now you have, you know, data visualization tools like Tableau where, uh, you can really dive into what's happening in a particular scenario and really getting some better intelligence on, what you know what not only what the optimization is doing but more importantly what are the carriers trying to tell you uh with the you know with the prices that they've entered and the capacity that that they've entered where are they interested uh in the lanes in your in your network and where are they not so interested and why are they not interested but kevin what about the number of rounds i remember back in the late 90s early 2000s people would do 10 rounds of a procurement auction there's a one company I know that shall remain nameless that did like 20 rounds for an LTL auction. Do you see that happening as much these days or is that kind of settled down to a standard? We seldom see that anymore, um, especially in truckload, LTL, um, which are you know kind of the two, bi two biggest spend modes that we, we hit on. I mean, most of those events are two rounds with maybe a little bit of additional negotiation um, as, as a shipper is finalizing where that first round often there's, there's no feedback given. And then at the start of the second round, there's some type of feedback that's provided. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 we don't see a lot of those, you know, crazy multiple round, uh, processes. And I think a lot of it comes down to right. compressing time, um, on, on these events. Everyone wants to get them done as quickly as possible. Sure. And the rates get stale if you don't, if you drag it out and for, for, for six months, then that rail, that, uh, that rate right. that was provided, you know, in October is, is not going to be accepted as an award rate in June. Right. Right. So that's the, the history of things that have changed and not, but what about today when you go into a company, what are the two or three big mistakes you've seen, or you'd see that shippers make during this transportation procurement process? Not engaging in what I would call continuous carrier management and discovery. Um, can't use a sourcing process to find new carriers. Uh, you know, people always say, oh, you know, hey, let's invite a bunch of new players to the bid. Well, that, that's great, but few shippers are ever going to award 
uh, a substantial amount of business to a new provider if they've never used them before. So there's not really much of a point um, to, you know, to inviting them and, and they don't want to be cannon fodder. And they're, you know, you do it two years in a row where you kept saying, you know, hey, well, we want to start using you. And then, you know, you never award them anything. That's not going to go anywhere. So, um, you know, that that really needs to be, in, in my opinion, you know, uh, something that a shipper is doing throughout the year, testing carriers, bringing new, uh, you know, new carriers, you know, on board. And, and I think an ancillary to that is just having good carrier management and quarterly business reviews or some type of business reviews in place. Um, you know, I, I'm surprised at the number of shippers that that we see where there's there's not good reporting on how the incumbent carriers are performing, um, you know, service levels, on-time pickup, on-time delivery, uh, et, et cetera. It's, I'm amazed at the number of procurement events that we run where the shipper is bringing to us, you know, anecdotal evidence uh, when they start talking about carrier quality and carrier performance. That would probably be the first. You know, I, I still think, especially with some of these larger companies, um, not understanding their own network, um, the shipper not understanding their own network. Uh, and sometimes this this goes to trying to get a, a, a bid out to market, you know, quickly. But, you know, if if a shipper doesn't go go through and really understand what's in this data, what's in the lanes that are going to uh, be put out and and really work to put an accurate network out. It just is going to create all kinds of problems on the back end, right? When a when a a shipper or any project is having to add a slew of lanes or delete a slew of lanes or fix a lot of volumes uh, between one round to the next, uh, that's frustrating for everyone involved, especially the carriers because the the sand is shifting, you know, underneath their feet and it's it's really hard to to, to bid that. So um, you know, when when a shipper doesn't, I'd say, put that investment or that effort to get it right the first time, you can tell. Yeah, that's that's gotta be tough for some of these shippers though, because their networks change dramatically. They're not like these stable things that don't change. And so New business get acquired, new customers come on, so it's a, constantly a moving target. That's one of the the primary reasons why a, a shipper does need to invest that time, at least you know when it, when they go and do this this annual bid or you know every every two year bid to really go back and look at their network and do as good a job as they can do to clean it up, remove the lanes that have gone away. Uh, to start forecasting, hey, we know this new facility is coming online in two months. We should probably include those lanes here. We know our volumes have gone down, or hopefully we, we know our volumes are going up or are projected to go up, um, and, and really put that time in to put a well-thought-out, a well-constructed network uh, out out to the carriers so that, you know, frankly, you're not wasting the carrier's time uh, on the bid response to a bunch of lanes that aren't going to happen. Got it. Got it. And so what's the third? The, the the third would be thinking that that routing guide that comes out of a strategic procurement event is a set it and forget it kind of thing. Um, you know, just like you talked about there, you know, networks are changing um, all the time. So there, there needs to be ongoing what I would call compliance and, and savings reporting to track how are we doing against this routing guide that we put together. Um, so that we can see when 
things are starting to go awry, whether we're not shipping the volumes that we're supposed to be shipping, which is going to affect the commitments you're giving to carriers, or if you are shipping the volumes that that you expected to be shipping, but your carriers that you were expecting to be your primary carriers aren't accepting those loads. You want to find that out a couple you know, days or let's be realistic, weeks after uh, you know, that's happening. You don't want to find that out months later or worst case scenario, when you're doing the bid the next year and the carrier says, hey, you said you were going to award me all this business and I never saw any of it. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think that after bid work, making sure you're getting the results that you're uh, you're expecting, um, you know, that that's just as important as putting a good solution in place. If you're not managing it, you're not monitoring it, you're not making the adjustments or giving it the tender loving care that, you know, that it needs. It's not a, not a surprise that when a carrier comes back a year later that they're complaining uh, about their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The routing guide is a living document. Um, and so it, I'm, it seems like it would make sense to make that part of your continuous carrier management because it's something to, to compare against. So you've done 250, 300 of these events. Can you talk us through what you think was one of the most efficient or effective procurement events and perhaps one of the worst ones? And you don't have to name names or anything. Well, I think both the best and the worst come down to really two things, stakeholder alignment and data, which we've already talked a little bit about. You know, I'm a math geek at heart. So the, the project's uh, that we've worked on that I think have been you know the best ones are the ones where we've had a very engaged stakeholder group. They were able to provide good data around their operating requirements, um, you know things like how many different carriers they could use at each individual facility and how many intermodal carriers they were willing to use, how many brokers they were able to use. They had good uh, carrier performance data, good carrier metrics that we could also bring in. Um, and so that enabled us to really, I'll say play, uh, which is maybe not the right word, but play with the scenario optimization, you know, quite a bit. Those ones where we had all that data, that metrics, and we could run lots of scenarios. Uh, I think those are the ones that, that stick in my head as, as being, you know, quote, the, the best projects that I've worked on. The ones that stick in my head of, of being the worst and, uh, kind of there's, They'll they'll remain will remain nameless, but there's one that I would you know did, certainly comes to mind. Uh, you know, here it had fractured stakeholder groups. There was two or three completely different uh, groups within this company, uh, and even an internal consultant uh, who who is also engaged that were trying to do dramatically different things. Uh, one was very much shocking as I'm sure this is, wanted to get the lowest overall cost that they could, <laughs> while the other group was completely the opposite. It was all about service, um, wanted to use as few carriers as possible, wanted to be incredibly prescriptive on every single lane, every single facility. Um, and, and they couldn't have been more at odds in this particular project. And then there were executives that were that were in play there that wanted something completely different. And you know, we we were trying, you know, as as the consultant supporting this uh, this myriad of of stakeholders, we were trying to satisfy all of them and run the things that they you know that they wanted to see. But eventually, we were 
just spinning our wheels and running lots of, uh, you know, lots of different scenarios. We're in analysis paralysis and had to eventually throw our arms up and get them into a room to agree on a course of action, which while I technically they agreed on a course of action in that room, I'm not sure it, it, it really, uh, was maintained once they left that room, I guess is the politest way to say it. Yeah. That, that, that's really interesting. So these weren't separate business units. These were all different levels of the organization or different parts of the organization. This, this particular shipper did have a number of different business units. Um, but it was, um, it was more, I'll say operations versus strategy versus execs, or I'd say operations versus finance, maybe is a bit (laughs) more, more specific. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually what happens. It's the CFO or the chief purchasing officer versus the chief supply chain or the VP transportation. One wants service, one wants cost. But I remember doing somewhere, uh, you have different business units and every business unit wanted to essentially recreate their routing guide. They wanted to use the exact same carriers. And the whole purpose of doing the bid across the business units was to harmonize and look for those elusive synergies. And it ended up just being, you know, totally balkanized. Um, but it sounds like that hasn't changed much. Well, and, and sometimes those multiple business units events um, have generated some interesting synergy where there's been good carrier discovery across the business units, right? You know, business unit A was using this provider and now they spoke up for them and said, hey, yeah, this, this provider does a good job for me. And so they were able to get uh, additional business with business unit B, C, and D. And that's how it's supposed to work, right? That's, that's the ideal um, when when you see those things happen. Like you said, doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it wasn't that they they don't raise it up because they want to keep that capacity to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, that, so that's interesting. Um, but uh, Kevin, we're almost out of time. And uh, so I want to ask you two quick questions. Uh, the first one is, what, do you, what are your th- key three pieces of advice you'd give to a shipper before they start a transportation procurement event? And then I want to ask you the same thing for carriers. So what are the three pieces of advice you would give a shipper? Uh, for the shipper, uh, three pieces of advice. I mean, I think the first one would be just be transparent with your, your carrier base, your supply base. Um, the more useful information that a shipper can share, uh, the better the providers are going to be able to respond. Uh, I'm not saying dump every piece of data from your TMS system on them uh, by any stretch, but be honest about your volumes, your lanes, your requirements. Share, you know, share the good, bad, and ugly, so to speak. Um, of of your freight. Show the carriers you're working to improve how quickly you can turn them at facilities. Um, if you know you're never ever going to single source a facility to a provider, then tell the carriers that so they don't waste time trying to put together a strategy uh, where they take over this facility. But you know, I think the key piece is share the relevant aspects of your strategy with the carriers so they know what to expect, and as opposed to be cagey. Okay, that that's one. What's the second? So the, the the second would be understand. And you said it earlier. Understand that the carriers' networks are changing probably exponentially more than a shipper's uh, is. And so, what worked for them in the past isn't going to necessarily work for them in the future. Be willing to make changes. Don't keep shoehorning the same incumbents on the same lanes if they don't really want the you know want the lanes anymore. Price price is a good signal. If they're starting to raise the price pretty significantly, that should tell you that they're not super interested. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. What about the third one? And then finally, just being reasonable. Uh, the carriers have to respond to so many of these bids nowadays. 
Um, and so if a shipper makes themselves difficult to work with, if they put lots of hurdles into the sourcing process, they ask for pricing 10 different ways or, you know, one year rate, two year rate, three year rate, or 20 pieces of information on a lane. It's, it's not much of a surprise that the carriers don't spend a whole lot of time on an event like that, uh, sharpening their proverbial pencil. I mean, ask the carrier what you need to know in order to make your decision, but don't overwhelm them with a lot of immaterial questions and requests. I remember an engagement where the, the shipper, this is a long time ago, asked their carriers to quote, be creative. And they turned in like binders of things of being creative. And this executive didn't know what to do with them. And he just had all these books of these great ideas. Um, but uh, yeah, he was a, it, it, you have to be able to, don't ask for stuff that you can't use. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Okay. Let's flip it. What advice do you give to carriers in responding to a procurement event? Uh, read the instructions would probably be a good first step. You'd be surprised <laughs> at even when a shipper does make it uh, reasonably simple to respond, uh, the amount of uh, ridiculous questions that are asked uh, that are all answered in the instructions that the shipper uh, had put together it'd probably be the first but you know more 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 seriously taking the time to review the information that has been provided and uh, and responding accordingly I mean I, I don't think anything frustrates a shipper more than when a carrier goes through the process, gets awarded the business, and then immediately starts rejecting loads the first week saying, well, I didn't know that you required you know, X, Y, or Z. I didn't know this was live on load. I didn't know this was drop trailers when that information was clearly in the material in multiple places. That's pretty much a good way to ensure that you're never going to get invited back again. I would also tell carriers to focus on what is really going to fit well within their network, not try and bid on everything. I, I, you know, it's a strategic exercise. Carriers should treat it strategically and, and focus on the areas of a shipper's network where they see a good fit to their network where they're going to be able to drive efficiencies. And I guess probably the last one I would say would be read the instructions. <laughs> yeah, you might you might have mentioned that one before. But it's got to be tough for a carrier, right? Because they're throwing a net out. And if I say, you know what, I'm really focused on these lanes, but if I get these lanes, I'll take them. So it's almost, it's hard to resist throwing that big net bidding on everything because you're only going to keep, you know, the stuff you want. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. Um, you certainly have your, your, your core that you know you're a good fit on and maybe you're even doing. Uh, and then you have, okay, th this is stuff that could probably work within our network. It might be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, but then there's the, you know, hey, I, I never have trucks up in the upper Midwest. Well, okay, then don't bid in the upper Midwest. Pretty simple. There's some strategies that I think people, uh, carriers can employ that uh, can, can make that a little bit more sensible. And of course, communicating to the shipper what your strategy is, is always helpful. Um and so we, we certainly encourage the carriers to do that because, right. yeah, I mean, the, the shippers are getting all this data back and they don't want to have to guess at what a carrier is trying to accomplish. So uh, the more that a carrier can be transparent just that same way uh, with the shipper of, hey, this is what fits and, and why it fits, that's useful to them as well. So it sounds like your advice to both is to be kind of uh, transparent and uh, upfront on both sides as much as possible. Absolutely. If people want to reduce time in the process, then that's that's uh, that and technology are the only way that's ever going to happen. Well, thanks, Kevin, for spending some time with us today. I think we all learned a few new things about transportation procurement. 
And now I'd like to bring in Dr. Enam Ayub to discuss the market update and forecast. Welcome to the Over the Road Truckload Market Update for September 12th, 2019. In today's market update, we will discuss the market changes in the last two weeks. Let's start with dry van. Active rates continue its slight downward trend with a half a percent drop in the last two weeks. Spot rates also dropped approximately 0.7% in the same time frame. Replacement rates is about negative 3.5%. This means that the new contract rates are about 3.5% below the rates being replaced. On the temp control side, active rates have been mostly flat for the last two weeks, while the spot rates decreased by about a percentage point. Replacement rates for the temp control is averaging around negative 2%. On the intermodal side, active rates show a slight uptick of 1%. Spot rates are, however, moving in the opposite direction, that is dropping by approximately 1% over the past two weeks. The replacement rate for intermodal is at equilibrium. Again, this means that the new contract rates are about the same as the rates being replaced. All right. So, so Enam, do you think that these uh, signs are an indicator of a continued drop in the market? Because we're seeing negative replacement rates for both drive-in and temp control and kind of status quo for intermodal. Or do you think this is just a, a sign the market's pretty stable? Do you see any more continued drop? What do you think? I think the dry van's going to continue to drop uh, because since February, spot rates have been below contract rates and the new rates are coming in uh, below the replacement rate. So I think the active rates are continue to drop, not at a significant rate, but at the slight decline that we are seeing. And we have seen no indication of it picking up. So what about for the fall? For, so the Christmas push is starting to happen now as we enter into Q3. Do you think that's going to counteract or do you see the you think it's still going to drop a little? I think maybe seasonal wise there could be some changes and most of the time we don't see the active rates shifting too much because those are typically on a yearly contract basis. Right. But right. we might see the spot rate spiking at a different times especially like you said when it comes to the end of fall and so forth. And last time, we talked a little bit about the proposed hours of service rules, the, the changes that were coming in, and we had some polling, and our polls, as well as some additional conversations I've had with shippers and carriers over the last week or so, indicate that most people see the proposed change rules benefiting shippers, and I, I think that's kind of obvious. And while some people thought there might be some benefit to drivers or carriers, it was kind of a mixed response. So it was very much a shipper-beneficial rule change. And there was wide agreement that the net result would probably be an increase in the number of miles driven per driver, which is a good thing, I would think, for both drivers as well, since as we've said in past podcasts, the average miles driven or the average hours driven for over-the-road long-haul trucking is only six and a half hours each day. So there's a lot of room for improvement there. And I was also uh, last week at a meeting with several large shippers, and I asked them which of the five major provision changes would have the most impact on their operations? And the response that got the most uh, indication was, I don't know, which probably tells us a lot. Uh, We really don't know. Shippers don't know how these rules will change. Everyone's still trying to figure it out. 
Well, that wraps up this Freightvine podcast. For me and Enam, thank you everyone for tuning in. Freightvine podcasts are produced and edited by Stephanie Bond and Abby Haney. As always, we hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. If you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on the Transportation Freightvine, please send an email to podcast at chainalytics.com. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening.